Shalom and welcome to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. This is a recording of Rabbi Adam Klickfeld's weekly Rashi study class. And here we are um, on a great pasuk, um, the 10th pasuk of the first chapter of Shemot. We already dealt with the, the uh, we spent a long time wonderfully on this Melech Hadash. Is it a real king? Is it just that the king changed his stance so that he could have a pretense to oppress the Israelites? And we talked about um, how the, the nouns Rav and Atsum, right? Great and mighty um, is, what the, is what the Pharaoh thinks about the people now and about how some of the other words the Yishwitsu and the um, and the Yatsmu that they swarmed out might be uh, kind of uh, perush on on the actual data that they that he experienced as a swarm, and now we get to the, really the 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 first sentence of uh, if you'll excuse the I think apt analogy the final solution right it's in ver- it's in verse ten where Pharaoh lays out what his plans are, and I think last week we read it but didn't Rashi it I'm going to read it through slowly, just to get us into the groove. Hava nitchakma lo, let us be wise with respect to him or it, singular. That's important because we're talking about the many, 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 many Israelites. And Rashi's going to pick up on that. Let us do something chacham. Let us not be silly about. Let us be very sophisticated regarding him or it. Pain your lest it or him grow. Vahaya, and it will be, that's a vavaipuch, it's a past tense verb, but it's really um, intended to be future. Ki tikrena milchama, when or if a milchama comes upon us or is called, venosafkam hu alsonenu, and then he or it will join, yes, also with or upon our enemies, those who hate us. Venilchambanu will fight us, right? The banu here doesn't mean with us, but will fight upon us. The Allah min ha'aretz, and will rise up from the land. And we had many questions on this the last time before we, that, we, that we put on the table before we got into the Rashi. Why is the reference to the Israelites singular, lo, as opposed to lehem, yirbe, instead of yirbu, uh, nosaf, as opposed to nosfu, gamhu, as opposed to gamheim, etc. It's all in the singular. And we also played around with what could the Allah min ha'aretz mean, that uh, the Pharaoh's fear is both that they're going to stay and grow and be numerous, but it also seems to be that if we understand Allah bin Aretz to be referring to the Israelites, he's like, oh no, and they're going to leave. Oh no, they're going to stay and be mighty. Oh no, they're going to leave, right? And then we also talk about the fact that in, in beautiful premonition, the Allah bin Aretz as the Pharaoh's fear is exactly what the first 20 chapters of the book of Exodus is about. The first 15 chapters. The only thing the Israelites are trying to do is, is dafka, the alamina aretz, but not because they've joined with um, the Egyptians' enemies and are, and are trying to depart, but because of what he, like the reason why they want to do aliyamina aretz is because of what he's about to do, right? So he's all jumbled up. And we also discuss, is there any other reference that the alamina aretz could be? So that's where we left it. They want to throw out... Um, uh, a, another lingering question on the verse before we look at the Rashi, and we're going to do it like last week, where if you have a question, uh, 
just, I know it sounds third graders, but raise your hand so that so we only one person can talk at a time. Marshall. I like uh, Robert Alter's translation. Of a little bit louder, Marshall. Can you, uh, you're muted a little bit. I like Robert Alter's translation of the word deep kakma. Let us be shrewd with them. Yes. Right. That shrewd is great because there's something a little bit, um, you know, sinister about shrewdness or about the way that, that that word is used. Um, I'll read you since we're doing translations. Um, Everett Fox, come now. That's the Hava. Let us, and you know how Everett Fox loves his hyphens, use our wits in a hyphenated threesome. Use our wits against it. He's very precise because the low is an it, not a them. Come, lo- come now, let us use our wits against it. He might be translated as if the it is the situation, not the people. Lest it become many more. And then if war should occur, it too be added to our enemies and make war upon us. Or he adds a very interesting or, not and. It doesn't say it an and. Or go up away from the land. As if uh, Pharaoh's concern is either they're going to join with our enemies and fight us here, or they're going to become so numerous that we can't keep them here. We want them to be just numerous enough that they can be helpful to us, but not so numerous that they can you know, use their majority clout and just leave. That's Everett Fox. Anyone else have an interesting translation of the Pasuk? No? Uh, Barry? Barry and then uh, Norm? Uh, a slight variation. It's, uh, it, 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 it's the people. It introduced first is... Um, uh, the, 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 the people of Israel are becoming, from then on, it's referred to as him. Let us deal wisely with him, lest he, he increase. Aha. Okay. Norm, do you want to read your translation? I think that it could mean with it, where it is referring to on Israel, the people as a collective whole. Yes. Because Pharaoh, later, if not now, I, I believe is the first one to refer to us as a collective entity, as a people. This could be a premonition of that. Or, or it could mean um, our the God of the Israelite people. Um, or, as you suggested, the situation. Good. So Am is a singular noun, right? It, it denotes many things, but it's, a sing, it's, a, it's, it's, it's grammatically a single noun. So it could be it the Am. Say more, Norm, assuming you haven't, quote-unquote, cheated and read ahead, what it could mean if the it were God. Because you, you, you threw that out there. So just flesh that out a little bit. Um, I think that the idea that the people of Israel did not worship Pharaoh, did not worship the Egyptian gods in general, separates them in a, an important way. And he could feel that this God that he doesn't see is a rival. And in fact, I believe he is. Yeah. Good. So let's hold that as a possibility as we're about to read the Rashi. Anyone else want to just read out an interesting translation in, in whatever book they have in front of them? Going once? Going twice? Okay. I can't unmute it. Now you're not muted. We hear Me? you. Oh, good. I was... Fighting with it somehow. Okay, very, very briefly, a little bit uh, a grammar. Nidhakma <clears throat> is um, a form in biblical grammar called cohortative. And what that means 
is the verb is put in future, but it has a special ending, kamatz hey, and it has, it gives to it, when you read it, it gives to it a little bit of kind of sarcasm, being smart in the sense of let us outsmart them. Mm. So it's not just a simple future tense, we will outsmart them, but it has this ending which makes it a little bit, aha, we know what to do. We yeah. are going to, you know, outsmart yeah. them. So that's about the word nitchakma because of this ending. And the other thing I want to say that we know about a term called collective plural, which are words that like the word am, which can be a million people, but it's still considered one single form. And such words are in Hebrew like mishpacha. You can have 20 members in this family, but you constantly talk about mishpacha as a single feminine. You need sabad or others. Right. So I read am as single, but it's a nation. Great. And let's go back to the first thing the Barrett said, a beautiful grammatical point, that exhortative or cohortative um, form of a verb. You all know it. Hava nagila, right? There's something energetic and almost optimistic about the, the about the, the verb form or mm-hmm. on Purim. Hava narisha, rash, rash, rash. Oh, let, let us go make noise. Let, 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 right. So the, the, you go, it's like a rallying cry. So mm-hmm. it's, 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 it's a rallying, rallying cry by a protagonist. Come, let us, yes. let us deal shrewdly is, with that. Yes. Right? There's some That's energy fine. to the form itself. Very good. Yes. Okay. Um, Adam? Yes. Yeah. In all three of those examples, it was, it was um, preceded by the word hava. It's like, let us. So that may itself be the rallying cry more so than the verb itself. Or together, they make it that rallying cry. Is there another example you can think of of a rallying cry that's not preceded by hava? I have to think through. By the way, Boker Tov, Barbara, so great to have you. It looks like you have beautiful light streaming in from your, oh, Labriut. Into your into your elbow, Barbara. Um, um, I don't think she's hearing us yet. So uh, I have to think: is that can I think of a use of that form that doesn't have a hava in front of it? I need to think about it. I don't want to waste time thinking about it now, but but that's a good point. It might be that it's like a Q and a U that they it's go together. It's not only hava. No, it's just the form of a verb that we have. It's it's a form in grammar where the hava gives it a double a, a yeah. double thing. I think there's yes. there's like nishlacha somewhere that it's let a, let let us send. Yeah, there Abba. there are some examples. I can look for them also. Yeah. Okay, thank you. You're welcome, Sue. Will you uh, be our guinea pig and read the Rashi? I will. I will read the Rashi for the Havanik Nikachma. Yeah, so we're on the Rashi on verse ten, top of top left corner. If you're in our book, but it'll be somewhere else on a different book. Okay. Kol kol hava lashon hachana vazmana le le daber or le le davar probably le le davar hu klomar hazminu klomar hazminu atzmechem lachem lekach. Right. So before you translate, what Rashi is focusing on first is not the 
exhortative form of the verb, but the hava itself. Okay, so. Okay, so every every hava is in the language of preparation and an invitation to the to to this thing. Right. As in, um, hazminu etzmachem lech Um, hazminu as it as in bring yourself no. Uh, 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 preparation. Get get prepared. Right. Yourself. So so Prepare Rashi, yourself. So so um, Alan Barosha Kivanta Rashi is basically supporting your reading that it's the hava that is the rallying cry um, on top of the form of the verb. So when it's interesting that he's choosing to say this here, all out of nowhere. But every hava in in the Torah saying is a version of let let's get ourselves psyched up to do this. Right. It's a rallying huh. cry. A um, uh, if you the way the different ways of translating it could be get yourselves ready for this, prepare yourself for this, invite yourselves, you know, really step up to the plate. So first he deals with the hava. Um, we could pause and say why, like what is what is significant to Rashi about what we're supposed to be feeling in this scene, such that Rashi is giving us this, you know, every. 50 or 100 Rashis, he gives us one of these. Every time this form is used, it means this. What is it adding to this scene by him expanding on the Hava here? I think it's kind of like what Barrett said. <clears throat> you know, Hava, it, 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 it's a form of, um, you know, rail. I think it, it, I think he's say, talking about the rallying cry. Yeah, oh, I, I, I hear, one second, Norm, I, I, I hear in Rashi's comment after he, um, even bigger than the word itself, sort of a cackle, like he, he's speaking to his inner crowd and, and um, energizing them for the task ahead, which is going to be devious and potentially challenging, and let's get ready. That, that, that's the hava here. Norm? You're muted. the first time in the whole Torah that the word Hava is used and also seems like it's because he's about to propose something that's really awful. It's kind of like he's getting ready to say, let's let all the old people go and die. Excuse me. For example. Point of information. Yes, Matt. Hava is used earlier when... Um, he said, Hava Etishti says, uh, says Yaakov to Levine. Right. So, um, in a different sense, but. Right. So th- there is a form of Hava that is, is more built from the, the, the ancient Hebrew Aramaic word meaning to give. Like in Aramaic, um, Yahev is he gave, right? So, um, Havli et Yadech means give me your hand. So there's a ver- version of Hava that is, a request to be given something, Hava etishti. There's also a version of Hava that is this. What's interesting to me is not that, it's not only that this is not the first time that Hava is used in the Torah, but rather um, that um, he says, kol Hava lashon hachana. Every use of the word Hava is this, because it seems to be that that's not the case, right? Sometimes, sometimes a cigar is just a cigar, and Hava is just meaning give or or, 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 or pass over to me. Um, okay, now actually, um, 
move to the next one, Sue, unless there are other questions on this. Actually, the word Hava uh, is also found in Genesis chapter 11. Marshall, it's so hard to hear you. Is there any way you can get closer to your, your speaker? Uh, actually, the word Hava is also found in Breshit, uh, in Parshat Noah. Hava Nil Benal Levenin. Uh-huh. Right. Good. Um, so uh, thank you for bringing that up. And so it's not only that this is not the first Hava, it's not the first Hava that means the thing that he says it means. Um, so uh, th- th- there's got to be some reason why Rashi is making that comment, that general comment here. I don't have that Rashi open in front of me. If someone wanted to check to see if Rashi said something interesting on that Hava, that would be that would be interesting. I don't have a uh, brace sheet in front of me. What's the citation, Marshall? Does he get? Does he give a language of like every use of the word hava is? Interesting. So maybe he's doing it once per book. Because that's that's the first time he's using brashi. Great. Marshall, there's something going on in 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 your technology. It's extremely hard to hear you. So. Um, see if you can work on that while we move to Sue to start working on the next uh, Rashi. Nidchakmalo. Nidchakmalo le'am. I can't tell if those are all bold. No, they're not. They're not. They're not. Nidchakham mala sotlo. Ve rabotenu darshu. Nidchakham le moshi'in Moshi'an. Moshi'an. Shel Israel. Nidonam. Nidonam. Bamayim. Probably not nam. Let us judge them. Bamayim? Shekfar nishba shelo yavi mebul leolam. Okay. So, look how, look what, look how, look how Rashi pretzelizes himself um, to come up with something which, uh, which is fanciful but fascinating. Okay. Let's be wise. Let's nitracham lo. Let's be. Uh, I'm going to go with the translation, guys. I'm killing myself here. Let us consider wisely what to do with it. The lo. Right. Um, uh, so, so first he says pshat. Pshat is don't get confused by the singular preposition lo. And not lahem. This is what several of you said before. It's lo laam. Am represents many people, but as a singular noun. So let us deal wisely with him. Rashi concedes that that's pshat, right? Let us figure out the best way to handle it. It meaning the people. Okay, but he can't resist. Um, and our our the rabbis the rabbis drashed it. Right in in a source that we already met um, on the previous on, on verse eight, the same place in the Talmud where we have uh, uh, in, in Masechet Sota, where it reads that this was a king who pretended not to know Yosef. Right, in the same page of Talmud that it continues to um, interpret this verse, mm-hmm. and and again remember that the first time uh Rashi quoted that Talmudic source. He doesn't say Virabotenu Darshu. He doesn't give this sense of, oh our rabbis gave a drasha on it, it's not really Pshat, it's interesting. He presents it as Pshat. And now he says, I- I'm telling you what I think the verse means. What it means is that let us be wisely to the people. But this is a really great midrash that I can't help but share with you. And what is that midrash? 
We're going to be smarter than the Mashiach of Israel. Close, very close, right? Either smarter than or, yeah, outwit the, 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 the Mashiach of Israel, not Mashiach, but Moshiach. Lahoshia, what does Lahoshia mean? Deliver. To deliver or save, right? So we're going to be smarter than the deliverer, the redeemer of Israel. Who's the redeemer of Israel? God. God, okay. So this is Pharaoh in this Midrash referring to God as Norm said was a possibility. We're going to outsmart the author of this whole story, right? Just see how like, how, how this is a, you know, an enigma wrapped in a real, wrapped in a puzzle, because this is the rabbis imagining the Pharaoh trying to outsmart the God who is the author of this whole story and text, right? We're going to outsmart that God. How are we going to outsmart that God? Nedunam b'mayim. What does that mean? We're going to sentence them to water. We're How? Gonna get like a dean. Like we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna drown them. We're going to drown them, right? So what we're about to do is is eliminate or 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 severely um, uh, mitigate their numbers, and the death, the sentence, the, the way we're going to carry it out is the water, right? That's the reference to what's about to come up that all the firstborns are 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 drowned. And how is that an outwitting? So far, it's just evil. How is that an outwitting? Aha, shekvar. It's uh, he's already sworn that he will not bring a big floody storm to the world. So Pharaoh, it like, that, this is, this assumes that Pharaoh like read the story of Noah. It assumes so means? many things. It assumes that Pharaoh knows the Noah story. It assumes that Pharaoh knows the Noah story so well that he knows that every rainbow he sees over Egypt is a reminder that the flood will never destroy the world. It also assumes something else like subtle and and kind of halachic. Can anyone tease it out? What else does it assume in order for this to make sense? That Shanishba, that that the swear that that God promises stuff and then you know doesn't go back on his promise? You're getting there. In order for this to be an outsmarting of God, what does it assume, Tova? Uh it's assuming God can you hear me? Yeah. It's assuming that God will uh, punish in the same manner, punish ah, water. Great. It's assuming midak neged midah. It's assuming like a rabbinic notion of of the punishment fitting, fitting, fitting the crime, right? So Pharaoh says, I know from all of my study of Chumash and, um, and my mastery of rabbinic literature that in the realm of Jewish Israelite punishment, you only get punished with, with the same, with the thing that fits the crime in it. And if you do a sin by this, you'll be, get punished by this, right? So let's do a water sin. He can't punish us with water because he swore not to. He can't drown us. We can drown them. He, can, he cannot drown us because he's already made a promise, okay? Um, let's, let's kind of go around reactions to that, and then I want to read. Some of you may have a version of Rashi that adds another sentence here, and I want to read that as well. Uh, Tova, I see Tova's hand. I see, we'll go, so, and then Norm. Okay, I think it's also particularly apt because Pharaoh is very closely associated with the power of the Nile, with the flooding of the Nile. So it's using his own power and the intrinsic power of Egypt itself. Great, great. Norm? I just think it's a simple, wonderful foreshadowing of what's going to happen to Pharaoh and his host. Yes, um, it's, so 
It's harnessing what Pharaoh thought was his magical power, foreshadowing for us knowing that's actually going to be his downfall, which means he is going to get Midah connected Midah, right? So he, the very thing by which he thought he was outsmarting God is not going to happen. It's going to literally crash down on him. And Moshian shall Yisrael, the one who's going to save the Israelites through water, right? Anyone else on this so far? Um, some, uh, who's on the bottom? Hey, Melanie. Boker So nice to see you. Oh, she can't hear that. Hi, Melanie. How are you? Can't you're fine. Um, okay. Um, I had the, I brought this um, other version of Rashi that I have. It's called Pshutoshel Mikra. It's, it's a beautiful, simple elucidation of Rashi's commentaries in Hebrew with, with many footnotes. And does anybody in their, in their comment of Rashi have other words here, either in parentheses or in a different type, before you get to the words of Alamina Aretz? Okay, so some of you have that. I'm going to read it out loud. This, is not, this does not appear in our text. But it doesn't mind. It does in yours? Okay. Um, in, my, in this book, it's parentheses, and it's, it's uh, associated with something called Birashi Yashan, the old Rashi. It's very interesting because our volume, right, the Torah Chaim, is, is, is a scholarly volume that has scoured all the manuscripts, and it gives us, uh, Melanie, we're on chapter 1, verse 10 in the Rashi. Um, gives us the manuscript variants, tells us when, you know, we've seen that acronym it's not in the first printing and our whoever edited our version of this Rashi makes no reference to these words but several printings of Rashi have it is what Rashi says or what some pseudo Rashi says they didn't understand the they being the Egyptians even though it's really the Pharaoh speaking that, yeah, he wouldn't bring a flood on the entire world. He's not going to, what he promised to Noah is that he wasn't going to destroy the entire world. He never said he wasn't going to destroy you. But he is willing to destroy a single nation or to bring water on all of you. So, Pharaoh, you misread Breshit. What God said is that he would never destroy the entire world, but he never promised not to schmeist a single rotten evil nation right so so you 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 overthought or you or you underthought when you were thinking you were overthought so it's also this this kind of playfulness what what it means to be lehit chachem most times when we think we're being lehit chachem right to it's it's a it's a great um form and maybe very can tell us you more about this it's the reflexive of to be smart to to smart yourself right to 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 um to consider yourself maybe smarter than you are it's probably doomed to fail. And it, it, it kind of makes Pharaoh into, a, into not only an evil character, but a, almost a pre-Achashveros character, right? He's, a, he's, he's foolish in his smartness. Barry? It reminds us in the, um, in the beginning of the Amidah, we're thanking God, where, where does our, our knowledge come from? Atachonin ladamdat, good. It is you, God, who gives us the, the da'at, not, not, our own, not only our own internal thinking. Great. Um. Okay, in the copies that other people have that include those words, are there any other words there that I missed? Because I'm because there might be slightly different variations. Okay, so um, we ready to go on to the Alamin Haaretz, or do people want to say more about this? Joel, can I go back? Because you you, I want to say something about the last one. Go back. Nitchatma. 
<laughs> yeah. And it sounds to me like Rashi is making a comment that the um, example of institutionalized anti-Semitism sort of requires the entire country to cooperate. That he, he he's a, a pharaoh that he could very well just issue a decree, but he's he has to rally the entire country onto his side in order for them to cooperate. Hmm. Hmm. And you're saying that that comes out even more in the Rashi and the words itself. This notion that um, where where do you find that Rashi, or is that, are you are you commenting on the Rashi or or the or the, or the shot of the word of the words? The, the the Rashi, where he's saying. Every time they use Hava, it's a way of, of, of rallying the people. Yeah. yeah. He, he wouldn't need to rally the people if he's just order, ordering a decree. Yeah. That's great. Because if, if you have, you're saying if you have that totalitarian power, you shouldn't have to convince anyone. Right. Can I add on um, to that? Can you hear me? Hey, Rick. Yeah, I can hear you, but I can't I, see you. I, it's been so yeah, long. No idea what you look like. I don't have a camera on this computer. I got to get a different one. We need to get like an avatar of you so we can yeah. see something when we're like, it could be like an avatar of like a Pazer or something. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Um, I, I also wanted to, to say along the lines of Joel that um, if Pharaoh had all this power, he wouldn't have to rally up his troops and convince them. And, and the evidence of that is later on with Shifra and Pua, they don't go along uh, they're Egyptian, and they don't go along with the pharaoh. And um, uh, it, it's not a, a monolithic Egyptian uh, force against this, I think. Uh, great. You've put those two comments together, and, 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 and you've linked something wonderful, that um, if it's true that in order to do something particularly devious, even an autocratic ruler, ruler like pharaoh needs to get full buy-in, then it's also true, it's even more true, than the small resistance of a Shifra and Pua can can stop the flood, um, uh, pun intended. Barry? Yeah, I, I want to go back to also previous week where this may be the same pharaoh, um, and uh, he is dealing with a people who are, are, are sorely angry in their circumstance uh, after... Uh, being uh, taken for everything they have and they're surfed now and uh, and uh, there's a potential of revolution and this this pharaoh needs to do something to make himself powerful among his own people mm-hmm. and that's what this is all about great uh, my mind is bringing me to um a few years ago uh before he we went to england noah took an online government course just to exempt her from one of the credits that she had to take um, from a distance when we were there and um, she was taught there was, it, the, the, the course was focusing for a, a, a portion of it on power and authority. Um, and it was, it, we read together a fascinating essay or monograph on the Eisenhower presidency and how Eisenhower went from um, the army to the white house and how hard it was for him to get used to the fact that in the army, in a military structure where you do have full, um, um, you know, power to make the person under you and the person under them and the person under them do exactly what you say without explaining it, how we had to learn um, kind of to translate from military authority to the diplomacy that is required even in the White House, or at least then. Um, to gather consensus, 
and to get people around the table to think that your idea makes sense. And he, and, and according to this monograph, that the first few months of his presidency, he was frustrated that he wasn't, people were not just responding when he snapped because as general, when he snapped, people responded instantly, right? He didn't have to, he didn't have to convince anyone, but even in the white house, he had to, he had, he had to convince, right? Um, so where the, some of the comments on the table, and I, I see your hand, Bernard, I'll get to you in a second, are, are, are reading Pharaoh. It's great. I had never thought of this. I'm so grateful for these comments. It, it's almost a, a, a bringing down before we see Pharaoh's downfall of Pharaoh's Pharaohness, right? Because even Pharaoh has to kind of um, push through an agenda in a way that is convincing or else he's not going to be able to get it done. And so he, he, he's not as immense as we thought or as he thinks he is. Bernie? Uh, he did have a short interval as president of Columbia, and he might have had some experience getting consensus. Um, Eisenhower. Right, right. I think he was, he was president of Columbia after he left the military for a short time. Right. When the, the main reading library in Columbia, when you walk in, uh, you walk up the stairs, a big picture of Eisenhower um, or painting in his Columbia robes. Uh, and so you could like prepare yourself for the war of the reading room, as it were. Yeah, uh, I said that because I knew you, that was your alma mater. Yes, roar, lion, roar, and wake the echoes on the Hudson Valley. Okay, um, I don't see hands. Okay, uh, Sue, now we jump to, the, oh, uh, Jeff, go ahead. Hi, so uh, just a comment, a uh, question. Never is there any doubt uh, about the existence of the God of Israel. It's always just, I, to me, I find that a little remarkable that there's not a question about whether the God of Israel exists. It's just the assumption is the God does exist. That's all. <laughs> and, and it's the assumption by the text of the assu- that Pharaoh shares that assumption. Yes. Yeah, right. Tova? But I think that makes sense in a polytheistic society. They generally don't have trouble uh, accepting the reality of the gods of other people. They might not acknowledge them as their chief gods. But, uh, yeah, I I think it makes sense. And um, the the Torah is very self-referential, and certainly the Midrash is self-referential, right? Think of how we discussed this the past, but it's been a while, how powerful it was for the rabbis to fantasize. That all and all throughout all the moments that that their ancestors were powerless and a version of as powerless and as stateless as the rabbis were as they were writing these texts, they actually wielded more power than they did, that God was greater than it seemed, that the that the cloud blocking God's brightness was only temporary and that even as Pharaoh was 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 um, kind of creating the power through which he was going to press the Israelites, we, we already saw the, the, the weaknesses. We already saw the loopholes. Right? So it, we start Shmot by, at least midrashically, seeing the way that Pharaoh is going to trip up. Matt? Yes, I'm playing the Arthur card. I mean, it doesn't say God in the text. Of course not. That's why... Listen, Rashi agrees with Arthur here in some ways. At least, Rashi at least is not saying, like, that's what's interesting about him saying, Virabotenu Darshu, even though on the last two verses ago, he quotes from the same Gemara and doesn't say that, right? No. Rashi, Rashi agrees with, with Arthur's critique of Rashi here on some level. <laughs> um, okay, 
Sue, Navi v'alamin ha'aretz, right? Which means, and it's in either, either an and or an or, meaning they'll fight with their enemies and then leave, or Everett Fox is translating it as they'll fight with their enemies, or instead of fight with their enemies, they'll just be so numerous that they're going to leave without asking permission. Rashi? V'alamin ha'aretz, al, al karchenu. What you know what al korach means? Against our will. It's it's a Talmudic term, um, you know, used kind of in argumentation, like al korchacha, that you you can't but you can't not but admit that this argument is strong because it, it's um, you, you have to accept it even if you don't want to accept it. So they're going to leave the land al korchenu, not with our permission. And now he gives us another Darshu. And I just want to say that he doesn't always say Rabotenu Darshu when he's telling us what the Rabotenu Darshu. It's right. kind of funny. All of a sudden in this particular Rashi, there's he's he's sort of like, you know, referring to the Rabotenu. It's, it's a bit of a window, we presume, into Rashi's recognizing when his dip into the Midrashic Sea is farther away from Shot than he's willing to claim as a Pashtun. Right? Uh, mm-hmm. Barry. But one second, to Barry. Before we go further, uh, we've been talking about that they will leave, the Israelite will leave. My translation says it's that they will make us leave. So, so hold on. We haven't gotten there yet. Go ahead. Okay. Go ahead, me? Yeah, yeah Sue. Okay. Ki adam shemekalel atzmo v'tola kalilato b'acherim v'arehu ki'ilu Okay, so in that same page of Talmud, if you're in our book, you keep seeing the same footnote seven because the uh, editors don't keep writing the the uh, the citation. So it's back back to footnote seven, which is Sota uh, chapter eleven. What is this like? It is like uh, 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 uh. it is like you're, uh, I lost myself. Uh, um, it's like when somebody curses themselves and then hangs that curse on others. Or I would I would read it. You're right. I think the intent is slightly different. When a person unintentionally, un, unwittingly curses himself. By hanging the curse on others. Oh, by okay. Vareu ki'ilu katav. It's like he. It's like it's as if he wrote. Wrote the valinu min aretz the him irash whatever that word was, um, and they went up from the land. Vavaypuch. They will go up from the land. We will alinu. And we will go up from the land, and they will, uh, you know, something that I don't understand. They will inherit it. They will inherit oh, Egypt, right? Will, oh, your shoe. Oh, your so, so, so Rashi's saying, Pharaoh's saying, uh-oh, they are going to leave the land. And we will get it from them, not to worry. No, no, no. So the the the, the, the verse seems to say that the nation... The Israelites will leave the land. Um, what's interesting is that in the shot of the verse, he's not cursing them. He's fearful that they're going to leave and he's going to, he's going to leave this, lose his economic force. What Rashi is saying is what, 
what he is saying that the what happened to the Israelites, he's in a sense kind of cursing himself. It's as if he's saying, and we, God forbid, are going to leave the land and they will inherit it. Right? He he can't bring himself to say, and it's it's hard to know because Rashi does not live in an age of Freud. If this is what if Rashi is presuming that Pharaoh is is doing this slip up consciously or unconsciously, he can't he can't bring himself to say the thing he's most afraid of. He's not most afraid of their leaving the land. He's most afraid of them conquering us and forcing us to leave the land, right? He, but he can't say that. So he, instead of cursing, instead of um, saying the worst thing that can happen to the Egyptians, he, he hangs it on the Israelites, right? And they're going to leave the land, meaning I'm afraid that we're going to leave the land because it's as close as he can get to saying what he's most scared of. Everyone get kind of the move there, Larry? This is a real reach. And my source for this is the famous Esther Makot Rep, written by Rav Raphael Aviva Ben Pinchas, the Rap Rav. That's a joke, but anyways. And I don't I can't cite the, the verse, but obviously I we took this from from Shemot. In the final just before the final plague, Paro said, Go but beware. You'll die if see my face, you dare. And then I have a retort. Moshe said, you've spoken true, but the death you speak shall be for you. So that's kind of an example of what Rashi's talking about. That you you give a, it's an inverse. You give a curse for others, but really it's a curse for yourself. So I'm sure there are plenty of other examples in the Torah or Tanakh. Right. And I think it's working on two levels simultaneously, or it could work on two levels simultaneously, just to like, split apart these subtleties, it could work on a level of, I say something about someone else and then it's going to, it's going to boomerang back to me. Right. Which is something, which is a phenomenon I'm sure you can all identify with. Right. Or it's since I can't bring myself to say something about me or us, because it's too terrible to bear. I say it about, I say, I say it about them. But what I really mean is about us. Now I'll tell you something interesting in the Talmud. Um, when the Talmud is referring to calamities that might befall the Israelites, and this is extremely hard to figure out until you figure it out, it, to, when, it, when, it, when, it's, when it's talking about what might happen to the Jews, the Talmud refers to them as Sone Yisrael, the haters of Israel. But the Talmud means by Sone Yisrael, the haters of Israel, Israel. So until you figure it out, it's, it's like being in Bulgaria where this means uh, uh, no, and this means yes. So the Talmud, do you know that? That in Bulgaria, it's the, the, the head nodding is the opposite of what you're expecting, and it's extremely confusing. Um, you, no, you, yes, you did know this, uh, Larry, is that what you're saying? Um, so until you figure this out in the Talmud, it's driving you nuts because it seems to be, you, it, the Talmud keeps referring to awful things that you know are going to happen to the Jews, but keeps keeps referring to them as Sone Israel, and you're thinking, but I want those things to happen to Sone Israel, but the Talmud just means the Jews, right? So it's the, it's the rabbis of the Talmud saying, I can't even, I can't even write that this is going to happen to the Jews, so I'm going to say it ha- it's going to happen to the non-Jews, but it's going to happen to the Jews, right? It's a version of this going on here. Or it's this other psychological thing where the thing that you critique in another or the thing that you, you know, the trap that you set for another and how many movie plot lines have been based on this is going to be the, um, what is it, you're going to, what's it, the, uh, you're going to be hung by your own petard. Is that the phrase, right? 
it's it's or you know Mordechai Haman, right? Mordechai Haman sets up the exact pit into which Mordechai will fall, and of course Haman falls into that very pit and or hangs from that very petard. Hoisted. Hoisted. Thank you, um, Melanie. Would you write? Right. We'll, we'll, we'll get to Shifra and Pua soon. Um, okay. Uh, anything else on this Rashi? Going once. Going twice. All right. Let's move to verse 11. To a story we, we know well and a story that is in our minds now anyway because we're about to be in Rosh Chodesh um, uh, Nisan. Okay. Um, Andrew, you want to read? Hi, uh, 11. Yeah. Sorry. One second. Why a sinu alav sare nisim laman anatobiv lotam. By even Are Miskina Lafaro et Pitom Viet Ram Seis. Um and so let me see uh I'm sorry, I'm having a, some technical problem there. Uh they they set the taskmasters over them to uh do uh, slave labor and they built the cities of Pitom and Ramses for Paro. Good. And let's let's slow it down a little bit because Rashi is going to play with, with words. So Vayatsimu Alav, they, we have to presume the Egyptians placed upon it. Here the it, the shot it is the nation, right? Rashi had said previously that it could also be God, but going back to Pshat, they placed upon it Saremisim. Let's break that down. What's a Sar? Anyone? An overseer? An officer. An officer. officer, overseer in modern Hebrew, it's a minister, right? Like a particular um, portfolio, some kind of a a delegated position. And what's misim? Misim is the plural of mas. Taxes. Taxes, right? So um, it seems to be that they placed upon it ministers of taxes right it doesn't we, we often think of it as taskmasters um it might it might more make sense as shot tax masters right mm-hmm. Ever fox says it's i love his language sometimes so they set gang captains over it i don't know i don't know i don't know what it is about the language that um that the, su- the gang that's surprisingly uh far from the, the shot for fox i know unless he knows something about the word uh, me seem that I don't know. I do. Have I? Yeah, Larry. Larry and then Leonard. Larry, Leonard, Tova. Well, I'm going to probably defer to Leonard because I'm pretty sure we dealt with this in Leonard's class, but it may not have been. If it wasn't Leonard's class, it was your class that we went ahead to this verse specifically to talk about the word me seem. So I'm going to defer to Leonard. Leonard? Moss doesn't mean tax until you get to modern Hebrew. Aha. Uh-huh. So in biblical Hebrew, mas means forced, forced labor or a body of forced laborers. 
Interesting. And it actually makes sense as um, in the evolution of the notion, because what a mas is, is your, your, your obligated tribute to the master and it can come in coinage or it can come in productivity. Great. Tova? Or both. Or both. Coinage and productivity. Right. The, the Tova, start, start again because you were muted. Start again, Tova. You're still muted. Okay. Start again. Muted now? Yeah. Okay. Um, the custom uh, in Egypt going back to the pyramids was corvée labor where the farmers uh, during the flood season especially would come and give their taxes via their labor. And in terms of the use of the word gang, that's actually standard among Egyptologists because we know that those workers were divided into working gangs with an overseer. I mean, that's actually the term that's typically used for them. Uh, they often had names like the gangs each had their own names and they sometimes signed their work with it yeah, so yeah. It, it's actually a good fit great my, my presumption and then i'll get to you in a second marshall is that, that the way that Everett fox is using the word gang here is more like chain gang than yeah than, than like south central right so like g- gangs of forced workers with someone specifically supervising them marshall Can't hear you. You're right. You're you're muted. There you go. Okay. Okay. Commenting on Leonard's comment that Moss means forced labor. Alfred catches that where he refers to Sarabi scene as forced labor foreman. Forced labor foreman. Great. Vered, what's our lucky Uh <clears throat> I want to see I want to say that I can read mass in the word miscannot. So the mass that they're going to to pay is actually building cities, not mass per se like we pay. But the miscannot has the word mass in it. Wonderful. Wonderful, right? So the, the thing that we're going to build, and we'll get to that in a second, array miscannot, cities of miscannot. And that's a very, when we get there, it's going to be a very hard word to actually translate. But But if you think about the three-letter root and the two-letter root, this miskin, it's not the miskin of, uh, of modern Nebuch. Hebrew, of, of uh, Nebach, right? Yeah. But it might be built from the word mas itself. Okay, good. Um, so we're still on shot. They set us upon them, these supervisors of gangs of laborers, Laman, in order to anoto, oppress it, like anototo, right? Lechem oni. Right, we're about to eat, eat the matzah. Is the um, um, <coughs> bread of affliction? It's the same root from which we get the notion of the obligation of fast in Yom Kippur. The initem et nafshotechem. You should afflict your bodies. Right in Hebrew, nefesh is not soul but body or or flesh. Okay, with what besivlotam? Um, what is sevel samech bet lamed? Right, to suffer or to tolerate, right? Which in English we have two words for, but they're really the same thing, right? In Hebrew, one root. Um, so something like, in order to uh, to oppress them with with with, I would. It's very hard to translate in one word with the types of labor that would make them suffer. Ever Fox says to afflict it. He keeps going with it here because it's 
a singular, with their burdens, right? And the way he translates it suggests that is the their of their burdens, the burdens of the workers or the burdens of the Egyptians that are being put upon the workers, right? It's he, he keeps it intentionally ambiguous in order to afflict it with their burdens. Vayivain, and it's also hard to know what the subject is, Vayivain, it's singular. So he, Pharaoh, built because he's getting credit for it because he's the one supervising this, or is this the Am, that the Am built? Are cities of Miskenot, Lefaro. Um, Everfox translates Miskenot as storage cities. We'll get into that in a second. Uh, he, um, probably because it's Lefaro, this, the intent of Vayivain is the nation, built Are Miskenot, cities of Miskane for, for Pharaoh, and they had names, Pitom and Ramses, Ramses. Um, let me read the whole verse in Everfox, and I'd like to hear some other translation of the verse. So they set gang captains over it to afflict it with their burdens. It built, it's such a funny thing that he keeps going with it. It built storage cities for Pharaoh, Pitom and Ramses. Anyone want to read? Did anyone have the, um, the Eitz Chaim Chumash in front of them and can read the actual JPS translation? Wait, I, uh, I think you're talking, um, we can't hear you. Yes. Hang Alex. on. Yeah. Hang on. I, I just, yep, yeah, I got you. You got me? Okay. I can I can mute and unmute all of you. So if I, I if you want to speak and raise your hand, I can unmute you. Go ahead, uh Alan. No, you just muted yourself. Okay. Unmute now. Okay. So they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built garrison cities for Pharaoh, Pitom and Ramses. Good. Garrison. Um, anyone know the precise translation of the word garrison? Does it have to do with mili- with um, storage or military? What is it? What's an actual definition of a garrison, Tova? Uh, I don't know if it's actual, but it, it, it garrison usually has to do with frontier uh, towns, and that are in some ways militarily mil- military stores and military preparation because uh-huh. they're frontier. Uh-huh. A right. garrison could be could be a barracks. A barracks. Or an armory, or both. Uh, Larry, you going to read us a translation? Yes. Um, and this is a translation, I've been meaning to bring this to class. This is Ari Kaplan's translation. It's usually idiosyncratic about it. And he is here, too. So first of all, he puts in brackets his inferences for a translation. Doesn't simply um, translate it. So brackets, the Egyptians, close bracket appointed conscription officers over, brackets, the Israelites, close brackets, to crush their spirits mm. with hard labor, period, that's his achta, brackets, the Israelites, close brackets, were to build up the cities of Pitom and Ramses as supply centers for Pharaoh. It's great. It's, like, it, it's, it's a beautiful lyrical paraphrase, right? Like, he's... He's translating in the way that translators do, not word for word, but to, to convey as best as possible what the intent of the original words were, right? And that's a great, I, um, I appreciate that translation. Um, and yes, thank you, Rick, for this reminder that if we're, think, if we're trying to undergird the use of the word garrison, that Goshen was, was, was uh, not in the center of where everything was happening, and, and it may have been an important place to build up storages. 
Okay, I just looked at the time and it's 9.33. So let's, um, let's kind of call it here. We've got the verse. And you can see Rashi has a lot to say in this verse. Short, a bunch of short bursts of commentary, which we'll do next week. You have been listening to another in our series of podcasts from Temple Beth Am, a dynamic center for conservative Judaism in Los Angeles. If you enjoy these podcasts, we invite you to write a review on the Apple Podcast site or wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Temple Beth Am Los Angeles, go to tbala.org.